0: Good morning. The story is told of a man who was bitten by a rabid dog many years ago in the days when there was no cure for rabies. So they rushed this man to the hospital and they did all the tests to determine if he didn't contract rabies through this bite. And sure enough, the doctor came in to visit with him and said, Sir, the tests have come back positive and you have rabies. And all that we can do over these, this next period of time is just to keep you comfortable. For rabies is not only incurable, it is terminal. And so the doctor continued to visit and he said to the man, Sir, what I would do if I were you is I would begin to put your affairs in order. And with the weight of this news, the shocking news that that this man not only had rabies, but that his life was was going to be shortened, and the end would be coming soon, he sunk back into his bed, depressed and discouraged. But after a short time, he began to rally. And he asked the doctor if he would bring him a, a paper and a pencil. And sure enough, the doctor brought the patient the paper and pencil and he began to write the doctor went away and came back in an hour and and the patient was still writing and he said sir I, i'm so glad to see that you're taking the time to to write out your will to settle your affairs and to put them into order and the man looked back at the doctor very strangely and he said will this is no will this is the list of people that i'm going to bite before i die Wow. Do you have such a list? You see, biting others back is the way of the world. But the way of the kingdom of God is the way of forgiveness. It's the way of Christ. It's the way that we have been talking about over these last weeks as we've been studying and looking at the parables. You see, the way of Christ is not the easy way, and the way of forgiveness is certainly not an easy way. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity put it this way, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. But you see, the way of forgiveness is the critical way. It is the way, however, that is far too often neglected. Listen to the words of David Siemens, a United Methodist scholar, a United Methodist leader in the evangelical movement in that tradition. He writes this, and I think it's very insightful for our time together this morning. He writes, The major cause of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, to receive, and to live out God's unconditional forgiveness and grace to other people. He continues by saying that the gospel or the good news of the gospel has not yet penetrated the level of the emotions of most Christian people. Today we look at the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a a parable, though, that comes to us with a significant and important context. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, again, we're invited into a conversation, into the small group conversation of Jesus and his disciples. And what a joy it must have been, how instructive it must have been to to be able to sit with Jesus in in a small group of his disciples And to be able to ask Jesus questions, Jesus teaches to pray. And on this occasion, Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how how often, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? Now Peter and the disciples would have known the rabbinic tradition. The, The rabbinic tradition said that you must forgive someone for the first offense, and the second offense, and the third offense, But the rabbinic tradition said that upon the fourth offense, do not forgive that person. And so for Peter to come and to say, Jesus, should we forgive seven times? Was an incredible gesture of goodwill and of Peter trying to understand the the commitment and the call of the Lord to forgive others. And I suspect that Peter was waiting for this answer from Jesus. Wow, Peter, man, you really get it, don't you? Seven times is, is, you're exactly right. Man, that that's perfect. But instead, Jesus says to Peter, not exactly. How about 70 times seven? There's some scholarly textual conversation here that maybe Jesus said 77 times. And, and I, I, I like that interpretation, understanding that seventy-seven times because it offers as a re- reference back to the Old Testament. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four it continues the uh, the story of Abel. Uh, excuse me, of Cain and of his descendants. We discover that, that Lamech is one of Jesus' descendants. And look in, um, in verse twenty-three. It's called the Song of Lamech. He says this of his wife, uh, to his two wives in this song, "Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wife of Lamech, you wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me." Now, this is probably, poet, Hebrew poet, poet, poetry, in the sense that we're not talking about two individuals. We're talking about the same person. So someone came against Lamech, and they wounded him. It was a boy, it was probably a young man, that wounded him, that struck against him, and listen to what he has to say. If Cain is is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. I killed the young man that came against me, and even though he just wounded me, I killed him. My vengeance is not just seven times, which was, which was the, the punishment for anyone that would come against Cain, if you read up earlier, that anyone that would come against Cain because of his killing of Abel, that they would suffer seven times the vengeance. And now here we are, just generations after the, the creation, and Lamech says, if you come against me, I'm going to come against you 77 times. It gives understanding to why an eye for an eye is not such a bad idea, right? You see, in, in the world, in, in the world, vengeance is that which the world focuses on. Vengeance with interest. You injure me, I'll kill you. But this is again, is not the way. Of Christ. In the kingdom of God, things are different. And it's interesting that that Jesus would say, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, with the, the same energy and zeal and commitment that Lamech had to offer revenge 77 times, we need to approach forgiveness in the same way. With the same energy, with the same enthusiasm, with the same commitment and devotion that Lamech had to revenge. We need to have that same kind of commitment to forgiveness. 77 times above and beyond. Eugene Peterson says that that revenge is boring. Forgiveness is creative, life-giving work. Revenge results in death. Forgiveness births new life. And as members and people of the kingdom of God, we are called to bring and to offer new life and forgiveness whenever we have the opportunity. So let's go back to our story in Matthew 18. So Peter asks the question, okay, uh, how often should I forgive? And Jesus tells a story to help reinforce his teaching. He says, For this reason the, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owned, owed him 10,000 talents was, br- excuse me, was brought to him. Now, you probably have a footnote in your Bible that would give some kind of a, a contemporary uh, expression of what that means. Let's just say that it means more than you'll ever have, Right? It was impossible for this man to repay this debt to his master. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment would be remade. So the slave fell to the ground and he prostrated himself before him saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything which both he and the, ma- the master knew was not possible in verse 27 and the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt but the slave went out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii like a day's a day's wage and he seized him and he began to choke him saying pay back what you owe me So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you, something that was quite possible. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother." From your heart. Church, we are called to forgive. Simply put, the word forgiveness means to let go. As we all break into the course of let it go, right? Let it go. But let, let go of what? To forgive means to not demand payment for a debt. To not demand payment for something that is rightfully owed to you. In the Lord's Prayer, the scripture tells us that we're, to forgi- we're asked to ask God to forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Thus, forgiveness is an act of grace given or offered on behalf of a debtor. Now, this should be a reminder to us also that we cannot forgive someone when they sin against another person we can only forgive someone in the way that that impacts us in the death that comes our way which also reminds us of David's confession in Psalm 51 who confessed to the Lord when he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba his murder of Uriah his adultery and the scheming and deception that took place in that event David cried out in Psalm 51:4: God against you And you alone have I sinned. Church, we need to understand that all sin is an act against God, which explains how on the cross, when Jesus cried out forgiveness, he had the right to do that. Because we have sinned against God. Thanks be to God. For his unending mercy and forgiveness. But I think this parable also teaches that not only is God a a, a merciful God, a forgiving God, but that forgiveness must be received by the one who's forgiven. Yes, we must allow God to pay our debt. If you would, we must allow God to pick up the tab. To pick up the tab for our sin, But when we truly receive God's forgiveness, something begins to happen within. For you see, the inflow of God's forgiveness results in an outflow of forgiveness and grace towards others. When I choose to receive God's forgiveness, I choose to begin to practice forgiveness. When I choose God's forgiveness... Or receive God's forgiveness, I choose repentance because my forgiveness is never permission to continue to abuse and sin against others, to continue to charge debt to that account. Could it be that the servant in this parable never really received the offer of forgiveness given to him by his master? For you see, the cry of the unforgiven is this. Pay me back what I owe, what you owe me. And so as soon as this man is, is forgiven, as soon as he's offered this grace, look at verse 28. It says the slave went out, and he went out and looking, and he went out and he found someone who owed him, and he seized him, and he began to choke him. Until he could be repaid. In the Greek and Roman culture, it was, it was commonly said that, that when someone would owe you something, that you would, you would choke the life out of your debtor. You'd grab them by the neck and, and, and choke them out. That became the, 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 cloak, the, the common language, the way that we would refer about taking someone to court so that they could repay you. They would, you would choke them out in order to to get your repayment oh church how quickly we forget how quickly we forget as we receive God's forgiveness and then we go out and we look for those that we would say pay it back to me and pay it back now how is it that we are so open-eyed and sensitive to the debts and the sins of others yet we are unwilling or even unable to see our own debt and fault. As Jesus said, we are are so consumed about the speck in our neighbor's eye that we don't see the log in our own. We justify our own sin, our own debt, with flimsy excuses. Yet we condemn others when they use the same excuses on the one hand we say that we know forgiveness in the way of God yet on the other hand we practice vengeance and bitterness in regards to others church in the area of forgiveness it is so hard for us to want to put our hands around the necks of others and now as this servant who had been pardoned goes out and and exacts justice so to speak on on the one that owes him money his fellow servants begin to notice and they they go and they tell the master and the master comes and recalls that servant and what we discover in this part of the story is the cost of unforgiveness you see the cost of unforgiveness is unforgiveness the refusal to forgive is more costly than the cost to forgive. Again, as we just read in our scripture reading in Matthew 6, as part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. And immediately following the Lord's Prayer, there's, there's a little bit more explanation. And it says this in verses 14 and 15 in chapter 5. Excuse me, in chapter 6. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You see, the consequences of unforgiveness is unforgiveness. The consequences for unforgiveness is being turned over to the torturers. May I suggest that the torturers represent the cries from that unforgiven chamber that lies deep within us. You know that chamber. You know that place deep within you. That place where the condemning, the unforgiving, the ridiculing voices that haunt you and make you the chief victim of your own unforgiveness. For you see, the moment that we refuse to forgive is the moment that we become slave to our own unforgiveness. And we become a prisoner of the past and we enter into the prison of our own demise, of our own destruction, and of our own death. When we choose unforgiveness, we are handed over to the torturers that would come after us. And what about this man's family? In the first part of the story, we're told that, that the master would have, would have had to have sold the family into, into slavery so that the debt could be repaid. I, I can imagine that now the consequences of the family, were they, were they sold into slavery as this father, as this husband was put into prison? and Were they sold to help cover that debt? And, church, the question that I have for us today is how often do our very families suffer because of the cost of our own sin and our own debt? How often does my family suffer because of my sin, because of my debt? Too often. It's the family, it's those that we love and care about the most that are most impacted by our own sin, by our own destruction, by our own unwillingness to forgive. So church, we must commit and we must learn how to forgive, how to forgive ourselves, how to forgive others, how to accept and to receive God's forgiveness. But we cannot forgive, I believe, until we go to the cross For you see, the way of forgiveness is the way of of the cross. The cross is where we receive forgiveness. And the cross is where we learn to forgive. Now now listen carefully because I believe this is an important truth. The cross is the place of both justice and forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an act of injustice. Forgiveness is not an act of injustice that empowers the wicked to continue to sin and victimize others. Rather, the cross is the ultimate place of justice where Jesus bore and paid for our sins. When Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, that meant that Jesus was taking upon himself our debt just as the master took on the debt of his servant and saying, I forgive you that debt. You no longer have to pay that debt. I will cover that debt. And so on the cross, Jesus cried out, I have paid your debt in full. Jesus took on our sin. How could he do that? Because as we talked about earlier, all of our sin is a sin against God. And Jesus Christ took that sin on And he paid our debt. Justice was done on the cross. So as you stand at the cross receiving the forgiveness of Christ of God, who must you bring to the cross with you? For at the cross, we not only receive forgiveness, we offer and lay our forgiveness down. To others as well church this morning we have two options we can come to the cross and we can receive forgiveness for the debt that we like this slave the servant in the story can never repay but of course as we receive this gift of forgiveness it means that we are committed in embracing a life of forgiveness in relationship with others or today you can reject this gift and this offer of forgiveness. And you can continue to live in bitterness and anger and hatred towards others, seeking to bite anyone and everyone who has come against you. Which will you choose today? Or maybe you would allow God to help you with your decision. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult journeys that we can enter into and can only be received as we have been forgiven and can only be shared as we have received that forgiveness. I'm always moved by the story of Corey Tin Boone, who survived the Nazi concentration camp at Ravensbrück. If you're familiar with her story, you know that her sister did not survive that prison camp and she died in prison camp amongst the filth and the disgust and the the torture, the horribleness of that place. Corey's dad also passed away in another prison camp. And if you're familiar with her story, you know that she went out and began to to, to tell the story of God's grace and mercies while she was in that camp. She relates that while she was at Ravensbrook, Her sister and the other women suffered unspeakable humiliation and degradation at the hands of the SS guards. She said the worst was the delousing showers where the guards would ogle and taunt the women. After the war, as she was sharing her own testimony of how she survived that story, one of the cruelest guards... At Ravensbrook, that was in charge of her and the group of women that Corey was a part of, came up to her after worship one day. Came up to her after worship, where Corey shared her testimony of God's grace and mercy in her own life. And this SS, former SS guard told her, Isn't it wonderful that Jesus forgives all of our sins? Corey, I have become a Christian. I know that God through Jesus has forgiven me. But Corey, will you forgive me? Corey said she stood there paralyzed in shock, for she knew that she could not forgive. So inwardly she cried out, Lord. Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, but I cannot forgive this man. And as she prayed, she felt not only forgiveness come over her, but a sense of freedom. And she reached out her hand to this former SS guard, this former SS guard that was cruel, that was instrumental in her own abuse, in the abuse of the women, the death of her sister, and said to him, I forgive you. And she said it was almost instantaneously that she felt the burden of the past fall away from her. You see, her honest confession and prayer to God was the key that freed her from the anger, from the hatred, and from the bondage of the past. In that moment, not only did she give forgiveness, but she experienced a new depth of forgiveness and grace and mercy from God that she had yet to experience. Church, it is time for each of us to move beyond the emotion of I cannot forgive to the act of will that says I must forgive and would you follow the example of Corey today who cried out Lord Jesus forgive me for I cannot forgive and in that prayer begin to allow the Spirit of God, and the ministering and comforting presence, the healing presence of God to begin to do and continue His work of forgiveness in you. For if you will pray this prayer, you will begin to be freed from the burdens and the depths of the past and to be able to begin the journey of life and of freedom that God has called us to. Would you pray with me?